The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. Welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the red beans and rice of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who adds all the flavor to my starchy blandness. Josh, how are you doing this evening? I am doing just fine. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I got the whole intro right this time. Like I updated everything as appropriate, so I was pretty proud of myself. <laughs> it's been a couple weeks, I feel like, since I've gotten the intro right, so no That's big okay. deal. Keeping it fresh. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so, Josh, it's the end of October-ish. Yeah, it is. I can't believe it. I know. The year's almost over. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> We're supposed to be excited, though, right? Because it's the end of that, so we should be just excited. just repeats itself. It's just another year. um but one thing i realized that i thought was interesting that i hadn't really thought of before is that it's almost the end of a decade josh yeah it's almost 2010s the end of the 10s how do you feel about the 2010s were the 2010s a good decade oh i mean they all have their positives and negatives for sure okay I got married in the 10s. I had a kid in the 10s. So, okay. Right. But what were the positive things that happened? (laughs) I kid. I make the jokes. I make the jokes. (laughs) Yep. Well, you're half right. (laughs) (laughs) But you're not going to say which one is which. Oh, I would never implicate myself on purpose. Usually it (laughs) happens on accident. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. It was was pretty good. Yeah. I feel weird reviewing 10 years of time. I haven't had enough time reviewing one year of time. So, Uh, yeah. I mean, what about you? (laughs) I know. It's interesting because, dear listener, one thing that is going to happen before the end of this year is Josh and I are going to do our favorite games of the decade. Yes. And that's what made me start thinking about this, about really the last 10 years. Where was I even in 2010 compared to now? Where was I living? What was my job? What were my situations? A lot has changed in in the ten-ish years. Yeah. So, I think overall, mostly for the better. But you know, <laughs> there's always those things. So, I think I was probably a little more svelte in 2010 than I am now. So, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, typically, a thing that happens with aging. But be on the lookout for that, dear listener. We, like I said, we will be doing as we as this year rolls up. Uh, we'll be talking kind of about our Favorite things from this year in general, but we'll also be talking about our favorite games of the decade. So if that's something you haven't done yet, I encourage you, listener, to go back and start doing that exercise of what have been your favorite games of the last 10 years? Because there's been a lot of good ones, a lot of good ones. And yeah. trying to whittle it down to 10, I think, is going to be very, very challenging. Uh, so I, I look forward to attempting to do that. So, yeah. Cool. <laughs> Should we do a podcast now? Aren't we doing one? 
I guess we kind of are. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this week. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, suggested topics, hit us up at Board with VG on Twitter or check out all the awesome stuff Josh posts over on the Instagram, also Board with VG. We are a proud part of Play Some Video Games and PSVG is on Patreon. We're absolutely thrilled with the support you have given us there thus far. And if you'd like to monetarily support what we do, you can find us there at patreon.com slash PSVG. But the most important thing is just that you listen and maybe share our podcast with someone else who you think might enjoy it as well. And we are also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network. So if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that is right for you. Josh, it is a news week. So enough of this housekeeping stuff. What has been some of the big news in the tabletop world? Well, our first, well, our first news is a Kickstarter news, which is, uh, I think, pretty common for us because that seems to be where the board game industry is mostly going. Is it really does seem that is Kickstarter. <laughs> uh, so our first Kickstarter news, we'll say, is uh, Zombicide Second Edition is currently, I believe, live yeah. on Kickstarter. Um, it takes the original Zombicide and it just kind of spruces it up. It updates the rule book. Um, it supposedly has a faster setup, which I'm not, I don't know what a setup is typically like anyways. Um, and it's a one to six player cooperative game. Uh, so for me, I, I don't, I know I'm from, I'm familiar with like Zombicide in general and like the box, mm-hmm. but I'm not familiar right. with the contents. So for me, uh, it just, you know what it really kind of reminds me of? It's like those monolith board games, like the Batman, um, Arkham Knight, or no, not Arkham Knight, the Batman monolith, whatever it was called. I don't remember. Yep. The big giant Kickstarter one. Yep. Um, but I know it's uh, incredibly popular uh, in the miniature circle. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of why I've, I haven't um, jumped in. I wouldn't be opposed to it, though. We're looking at a pledge goal of $250,000. They're currently sitting at, with 16 days to go, they're currently sitting at $1,259,000. I think they cleared that 250000 Nice job. Yeah, it's it's insane. And it's another CMON game, of course. So um, $40 gets you the update to your older version of Zombicide. Uh, $50 gets you, um, they're, they're introducing uh, Zombicide Chronicles, which is a role-playing game. So uh, 50 gets you uh, Zombicide Chronicles, uh, the core book, and the Game Master screen. $100 gets you Zombicide Second Edition Core Box um, and a promo. Keeps going up from there. Uh, if you want to go all in, it's 180 bucks. That also includes what we're about to talk about, which coincides with this game, and that is Danny Trejo Kills expansion for indeed zombicide second edition they uh it's a full-blown danny trejo it does a trailer he's in the game uh it's just a very uh interesting and funny uh and cool uh expansion so i say more power to this do you want to see more games uh do things like this where they're introducing real life people into the game <laughs> would you like to see keanu reeves in, a, in like a zombicide game 
I think that'd be interesting potentially. I think Danny Trejo is a is a surprising person to or celebrity to bring in, but then it also really fits for this type of game. Yeah. So the expansion comes with uh, Danny Trejo, the character. Then it comes with Walker Trejo, so a zombie Trejo. And then it comes with Trejo Abomination, which is a giant uh, <laughs> Danny Trejo zombie. So you get all three of those in that expansion, which is pretty right. pretty funny. <laughs> which is important to note, though, that I do not believe you get that in the All Out Pledge. I think that is a $15 add-on no matter what. Ah, that's important to know. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think in the All Out Pledge, you get the base game, the uh, Chronicles stuff. Uh, so if you want to do the tabletop RPG and then the Washington ZC yes. um, expansion, which I think kind of turns it into a, a campaign. Um, and I think that's what you get. So if you want to get a little Danny Trejo, it's going to be another 15 bucks on top of your $180 pledge. If you go with the all out pledge. Yes, I see that now. That is correct. $15 plus shipping. Yes. <laughs> which shipping has been a controversial topic in the world of Kickstarter lately. Ugh. You know, I went to add um, Pearlbrook to my Everdell Kickstarter because I got the punch yeah. manager. It, it to add, uh, so I paid it was sixty five for the two expansions. Yep, and twelve dollars of shipping for the two. So when I got the pledge manager and I tried and I added Pearlbrook, even though I had already paid, I already paid sixty five and and paid for that. So I was really only paying the twelve dollars for shipping. So I added right. Pearlbrook. And then Pearlbrook shipping was jumped into that. It would have been $71 just to add a $40 expansion. Yeah. And I, there was a Reddit thread about that and I don't know. And someone said it was an error. So I don't know if that's actually an error. No, or it, if it that seems is, right. They charge you separately for the shipping for Pearlbrook. Right. But somebody said that for, they thought that there was an error in the charging for Pearl. Like uh, that, oh. And I don't know if that's true. I have no idea. Well, that's say um, if you buy like Pearlbrook, they all ship together. It does say that. Like, they don't oh, ship okay. it early. But, I don't know. Well, they they lost my money. I didn't buy it. You didn't buy it, but you kept your other two, I'm assuming? Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't cancel yeah, that. Okay. They already took my money for that. <laughs> 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 now, we'll just try to find uh, Pearlbrook. Hopefully, they have a few copies at uh, PAX Unplugged. We can run in, find Starling's booth, and then buy it. Yeah. So, here's the, here's the interesting thing. That when you look at this Kickstarter... Uh, they have their estimated shipping costs by hub for the shipment of basic second edition pledge. Yeah. Optional buys are not included. In the U.S., to most states, it's 15 bucks, which isn't too bad if you're only getting the basic edition. But to Alaska or Hawaii, it's $75. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and this is, sorry, back to Zombicide. $75 to go to Alaska or Hawaii, which I get, I guess. Part of me it would you? be like, that's "Hey, that's a lot of money." <laughs> well, I, I, part of me wants to be think about, "Hey, when the boat is on its way to port, can you just throw some copies and let them float? Let them float over." Uh, yeah. Oh man, and and I don't, I don't want to say I'm polluting the ocean is okay, but yeah, man, these these shipping rates have, and this has been like we said a hot topic for Kickstarters lately. But yeah, hundred bucks to Africa for shipping. Yeah, that's. That's insane. That's that is ridiculous. That can't so, be sustainable for Kickstarters, right? I, I mean, if you're thinking now, I don't know. You know, actually, who we have a question from this week, friend of the show, William Herkovitz. He lives in Africa. Yeah. So if he wanted to get Zombicide, it would be an extra hundred dollars on top of his pledge to get the game. 
Well, we know he does. He just calls company. Uh, he just he calls C1 and they send him to him. But, well, that's okay. He, I mean, that's his career. He writes really cool articles. So that makes sense. But Yes. Yeah. Um. So a couple of weeks ago, and I don't remember if we talked about it on the show. I think we did when Simon or Kaman or whatever we're calling them these days uh, had their little interesting uh, warehouse reduction sale or whatever you want to call it on yes. Kickstarter. Uh, do we think they're going to be around for to fulfill this in 2020, <laughs> September of 2020? Do we I... think that the business stature of Kaman is solid right now? Because that warehouse sale they did very much felt like, hey, we need some money and we need it now. Yeah, and I don't know. I have no inside information. This is purely speculation, which is kind of dangerous. But that that Kickstarter just felt weird. Yeah, no one liked it. It was very um, um, what's the word I want to use? We'll just say frustrating to people online. People were not big fans of it. Uh, It was reported on a bunch. I I don't. I really don't know what to make of it. It It's very weird. Um, so I'm not sure why they did that. Yeah. So who knows? I, uh, I hope they're still around. That would be crazy if Simon went out of business. Well, they are a publicly traded company. Like you can buy their stock, and I know. Uh, so th- there is some information available out there about their finances, and the last reports on them were not positive. Oh. So. Um, well, maybe Asmodee will buy them. <laughs> maybe, maybe indeed. <laughs> um, but does this? Are you? Do you have any interest in picking up Zombicide? Is this a game you want to get in on? I mean, not at this point. I'd like to try it, but I'm not about to just jump all in because it's not a theme that my wife would like to play. So right. it'd be tough to get that and then just sit on it. No, I agree there. Yeah, this is definitely not a game my partner would play either. So I don't know that I would be jumping into it. So it's a good thing we live far away from each other because we'd be buying way more games to try to play it together. <laughs> I mean, I guess that is a way to look at it. You know? <laughs> One could look at it as like, hey, we could play more games together, but instead it's we're just saving money now. <laughs> exactly. I'm trying to take a spin, a positive spin on it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, keeping on the Kickstarter train, uh, something we have next is, well, a popular um, theme for this company, Queen Games, uh, is out putting up another... Uh, they call them typically big boxes. This one's called a mega box. But if you've ever seen Queen Games... Um, they typically have, you know, their solo, their standard looking board games. Uh, and then once there's enough expansions out for these games, they put out these, um, giant boxes, big boxes, mega boxes, uh, what have you, which typically just include like all the expansions at a reasonable price. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you see, you probably, you, you probably more commonly have seen it with Alhambra, but they do it for a bunch of their games. Yep. So they are on Kickstarter right now. With uh, bringing back their popular, very popular game, Fresco, uh, with a Fresco Mega Box Limited Designers Edition. Uh, it's the 10-year anniversary for Fresco. It has revised artwork, four new expansion modules, Fresco the Dice Game, Fresco the Card Game, and Acrylic Components. So they're setting out to get a $10,000... Um, I don't want to call it a bid, $10,000 investment, if you will. Uh, it's currently setting at $128,000. Mm-hmm. A $40 pledge gets you just the Fresco Expansion 3. Uh, also, a $40 pledge can get you the Fresco, the card game, and dice game. So if you already have Fresco, you don't want to update it. $78 gets you the card game, the dice game, and the expansion. If you want to get... The Mega Box. There's a Gold Edition that gets you. There's an early bird special for one thirty-five. 
There's 79 left out of 200, and then it will bump up to 150. There's one backer at the 150 level and not the early bird, which is really I weird. always wonder about that. Yeah, I always <laughs> wonder when that happens. Um, and if you want the diamond edition, uh, that gets you that's that puts you up to 179. If you want to know the differences, you can view the Kickstarter. It goes over what's different in the different versions. Um, and then finally, there's a couple early bird for the diamond. Uh, and then if you miss early bird, it's going to cost you 200 bucks for the diamond edition, which there's three backers that even though there's <laughs> one left of the 500 for the 179. Well, someone might have canceled. It might have been sold out. Uh, yeah, somebody right. canceled. So that's true. But there's still 192 left of the second early bird special, which is 184. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they just really want to support the developer. Yes. Or the publisher. That's very be. possible. Uh, the game looks very uh, interesting. I've never played it. How about you? Have you ever played Fresco? I've never played Fresco. I've always wanted to because thematically, it's a theme that seems very cool to me. Uh, question for you though, sir. Yes. If you look at say right now, if we wanted to get everything, we'd be in at the hundred and thirty-five dollar level, basically, right? Yeah, for the gold edition, Mega Box Gold Edition. Uh, the Diamond Edition basically makes a whole bunch of the components acrylic. Yeah. Rather than cardboard, so that's kind of the, what the difference is. But if you think about that, for one hundred thirty-five dollars, what you're getting in the box compared to when we just looked at Zombicide. Yeah. Of what you're getting in the box for the price there. Obviously, things are a bit different, and, and you can't always compare things one to one. But does this seem like a good deal? If you're comparing, well, so you get the base game, you get four expansions, and you get two other games: the card game yeah, and the dice game. That is true, and actually, it's four expansions plus it's four new expansions plus ten previous expansions. Oh, yeah. Then I think so. It's like fourteen expansions. You're making total. out like a bandit. <laughs> yeah, I guess you get. I guess it is pretty good. The so. problem is, so for me, buying a game and then having that many expansions, I don't know what I would want to do with myself. I don't want to play with 14 expansions right away. <laughs> that is always hard. And that is the one thing I will say about Queen Games. Typically, uh, Alhambra from them is a game I really adore. That has, uh, I backed it in a similar thing that I got like a big box of it when I got it. And there were a number of expansions in it, but most of their expansions are very small. So when you think of like, oh, there's 10 expansions, those 10 expansions, one expansion could be, you know, one expansion is just 10 tiles. tiles. Yeah, exactly. So it's more like a whole bunch of mini expansions is what they do that make small tweaks to the gameplay. Uh, But it is, you're right. It's kind of hard to determine, do I play with all of these? Do I play with none of these? Do I play with just the base game first and then add them one at a time? How do I decide what I do? Yeah, that's that's, um, that's the more... Less than the price, that's more like uh, tough for me to get behind. Right. Like I'd rather just go find Fresco used for 20 bucks and try it instead of paying yeah. $140 for a game I might not enjoy, but I have 14 expansions for. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally understand that. And yeah, I, I think this is just one of those things that I do. Um, this is a game I've always kind of looked at and always kind of wanted to play. Uh, so it seems tempting to jump in at this all-in level, if you would. But yeah, I just don't know. How do you determine what is the best combination of things to play with? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it yeah. does seem. Do you think it seems like there's this new trend too of, hey, we're gonna re-release these games on Kickstarter in this new fancy deluxe edition. Does that seem kind of the future of games? Does that seem is that are these almost like board game remasters, if you would? 
Yeah, it's essentially a, a remaster, yeah. Yep. So I guess, you know, video game companies do it because it's a pretty safe, quote-unquote, safe way to, you know, invest some money in and make a good, a little bit of money. And I feel like maybe with board games, we're starting to see more and more of that as a, a safer bet than dumping a whole bunch of money into a brand new IP or a brand new game and, and hoping it works out the way you want it to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Sorry, I didn't have anything else to add to that. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> okay, next story. Um, if you're listening to this, you're probably familiar with Exploding Kittens, and even if you've never played it, you probably also know a dozen people who don't play board games that know Exploding Kittens. It seems to be Indeed. this like weird entry level for anyone into into a, a board game where they wouldn't even consider it a board game. I know it's technically a card game. Um, it was created uh, off of the comic strip The Oatmeal. Came out in 2013 in board games. And the company has, has done a bunch of other games. You can see it at Target. There's Throw Throw Burrito, which was also a Kickstarter. Uh, Bears vs. Babies, which I actually just bought because it was like five bucks at Target on clearance. Mm. Um, and then Wolfgang Warsh, the guy we talk about who does Gone Shown Clever um, mm-hmm. and a bunch of other games. He's doing a game with them called On a Scale of 1 to T-Rex, uh, which has been getting a lot of uh, uh, noted notice i'll say so and they have their own convention called burning cat which starts next year right i think it's next year yeah yeah next i think year. it's next year yeah uh so people know what this game is and it's very popular but i don't know that anyone thought it was 20 million dollars popular you know it's even more ridiculous josh it's actually 30 million dollars more popular is it 30 it's 30. The headline from the oh, story 30, says 20, yeah. but if you actually read the press release, the press release says $30 million. $30 million. So TCG Capital Management. Uh, I don't know what TCG stands for, but I, what I can tell you is it is a Chinese uh, company that is buying them. Uh, they've been around since, well, since Exploding Kittens came out in 2013. Uh, so it has the China money buying this this game for 30 million dollars that's crazy 30 million dollars for the the company who makes exploding kittens <laughs> i you know i think about compare this to video games right when you look at xbox and xbox went on that buying spree for the studios they purchased do you think they paid 30 million dollars for any of those studios no <laughs> not even and close now you, right and now you have I, now i wonder if there's going to be any jokes about hong kong in any of their future games uh, but I <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah 30 million dot like i know exploding kittens is popular but 30 billion dollars popular josh so, we're the wrong business i mean i just imagine these people two people created exploding kittens Right. They can do nothing for the rest of their life because yeah. they created a silly game about, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say it's a bad game. I'm just saying the, the object, it's a very silly themed game. Um, but I will say this. Every time I go to a convention and, and Exploding Kittens is there, they, uh, they do things that are unique. They always have lines for what they do. For sure. They're very good. Um, 
with the marketing campaigns. Absolutely. They made eight, their last Kickstarter raised eight point eight million dollars in thirty days. Yep. Uh, so they're doing something right. But wow, All right, Josh, that's a lot of money. <laughs> I, I have an idea. Go with me here. I have the idea for a game. We're gonna call it Imploding Puppies. You're gonna have to uh, edit this out if you think it's gonna go somewhere because someone will <laughs> do it before us. Someone's gonna do it for us. That's all I got. I'll, all I got is the idea. I'm just the idea person. You don't think we get sued for a game called Imploding Puppies? What would they sue us for? It's it's <laughs> too close to it exploding ex- kittens. <laughs> it's like the opposite of that. It, yeah. Opposites aren't close to each other. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> that might be iffy territory. It might be. That's but who knows? Apparently people can it. just steal other people's ideas and put them on Kickstarter. So I guess we that could technically true. do it. <laughs> that is true. I was going to talk about that, but it got shut down. So we I, can make a I game called Exploding Kittens. Or Exploding es- <laughs> Kitties. <laughs> Uh, okay, so not 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 a lot of news behind that except they're getting Exploding a pretty big Kittens investment. Been bought. Yeah, so yeah, good for them. Mm-hmm. Speaking of crazy things, Steamforge Games announces three new expansions for the Dark Souls board game. That's three more expansions. Right. The game is already huge. It has so, here- so many monsters. <laughs> it's crazy. Have you seen anyone play this game ever? No, but I also haven't seen anyone play the Batman game or Kingdom Death Monster. I just hear that people that's play That's true. It. That's true. I think that's the hard part is I don't even know anyone who's played this game. Yeah, I don't know anyone either. In fact, I know someone who owns the Dark Souls, the card game, but I don't even know right. that they've played it. <laughs> yeah, and that's awesome. I mean, clearly Steamforge, I think, is doing a good job of uh, creating partnerships and bringing a lot of video games to the board game realm, and it must be doing well enough if they're making three more expansions for this game. Uh, maybe I need to play it. I mean, it is a one to four player game, so I could play it all by myself. Yeah, because uh, I know the partner would not be into this theme at all. But I don't know. I mean, if they're making three more expansions, it's got to be at least kind of good. Maybe I guess. I mean, <laughs> I don't know that that's necessarily gospel truth (laughs) it is it is at least moderately successful how about that sure yes okay yes so it adds six new characters um i don't want to get too much into it just because we're not familiar with the game a bunch more content for the game Uh, all three expansions are are, uh releasing on november 22nd of this year so if you are a dark souls board game fan you don't have too long to wait just in time for the holidays. Yeah. So gift little Dark Souls under the tree this year, if you'd like. But speaking of Steamforged, and maybe something you'll be interested in, probably definitely interested in, Steamforged Limited is releasing Nino Kuni 2, the board game, which is a one-to-four-player cooperative kingdom-building game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not know that the kingdom was called Ding Dong Dell. It is. Uh, but that's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> in, a, in a good way, I think. So it's cooperative. Uh, if you look at images, uh, I don't know that it, it says too much about what you're doing in the game. But there are some miniatures. But it's definitely a cooperative card game. What do you think about right. this? Uh, I think it's interesting. The thing I can't quite figure out is that the news story definitely says that it's from Steamforge, but it's not anywhere on Steamforge's website. Interesting. Well, yeah. the order, the place where you can order, it does say Steamforge. 
Yeah, and just but on Steam Forge Games website, it's just not there anywhere. Okay. So that's just what I find interesting. Uh, but I am interested a little bit in this game. I enjoyed Nino Kuni 2. It was a fun romp. I didn't quite finish it, and it was one of those games that I've always meant to go back to and finish. I didn't like stop playing because I didn't enjoy it or anything like that. Just other stuff came up and I got distracted. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ding Dong Dell. How great of a kingdom name is that? Wouldn't you want to <laughs> save Ding Dong Dell? Sure. <laughs> I, you're, you're not convincing me here, Josh. No. Cooney. Um, <laughs> it's going to be 40 bucks. Yeah, which is and, a great price. And it comes out um, November 8th. It does. So that's it. I don't think I've seen Steamforge games with a game that low, which is nice to see. Very true. Typically yeah. They do mean, very big games. Very expensive games. Looking at you, Horizon Zero Dawn, the board game. Uh huh. I'm still mad. I don't own that. But who knows? Maybe someday I'll stumble into a pile of cash and then call someone up and say, Get me Horizon Zero Dawn, the board game immediately. But it's unlikely to happen. Uh, yeah. So yeah, there's not too much more information on the game. According to um, the distribution's website, uh, ACD Distribution, um, The Kingdom of Ding Dong Dell has fallen. It's been usurped by Doloran, a man steeped in evil. Uh, Evan Tildrum, a former king of Ding Dong Dell, has decided to avoid conflict and build a new kingdom uh, to live in Evermore. And that's what you do. You're going to build a new kingdom because you get kicked out of your old one. <laughs> right. Uh, you can also get Dark Souls, the card game, for 35 bucks on here. Yeah. I think that's an expansion, though. It is. I believe so, yes. Okay. Cool. So, moving on. The second wave in more for Cybertron is coming out. This is the Transformers TCG, or trading card game, for the non-linguists. Linguists? Yeah. <laughs> Linguists? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because I have... I have some I have a TCG and we just never have played it. In fact, I got it for my wife like two Christmases ago. <laughs> That's why I was kind of surprised to see more of this because I remember this game coming out vaguely. And I think we even talked about it on the show at one point. But I haven't heard anyone talk about this game in, in a bit here. So I was kind of surprised to see more. Yeah, I haven't seen anyone play it. Uh, every time I see it uh, at Barnes & Noble or Target, it's not moving, uh, at least that I can see on the shelf. It's always right. full. Um, it was selling a little bit of packs because they released a uh, one of the first big car- character card sets, uh, mm-hmm. which is different. Like It was like a four cards to build one Transformer, which I'm not familiar with the mechanisms of the game, so I'm not sure how that is incorporated, but it was like a big right. deal. And they, they sold through all those at PAX. But yeah, um, I haven't seen too much going on. I haven't seen any reviews or people talking about it. Uh, but that doesn't mean it isn't good, because clearly they have more cards coming out. Indeed. Does this, I know you obviously you play a lot of Keyforge. Does this make you want to potentially take one of your Keyforge nights and play a little bit of... Uh this game instead it's not out of the question for sure um once i we get through all of our decks in geforge maybe that might be likely but we got a ways gotcha. to go before that happens um but yeah so uh war for cybertron siege 2 comes out on november 8th so you'll be able to jump into the war for cybertron when that comes out indeed all right so that's all of the board game news that's fit to talk about 
or that we chose to want to talk about. <laughs> We're going to move on and talk a little bit about some video game news. Starting off in what might be one of the most surprising news stories slash reveals of, of the last, I don't know, year or two probably. No one's not coming. Is that, <laughs> is that the success successor to the PlayStation 4, Josh, is the PlayStation 5. I know. Hold on to your hat. Who knew? Who would have thought? Who could have guessed that the next console from sony would be called the playstation 5 i know you're shocked and surprised right listen a good naming convention is underrated you should stick with the numbers not mess it around xbox <laughs> <laughs> and i agree i i'm glad i i think there was some some theorizing that they might just call this the playstation or playstation um, but i'm glad that they stuck with the numbers i i'm happy that they're calling it playstation 5 uh, and they also confirmed that it's coming out holiday 2020 as most people suspected so it does look like we are in for a showdown between Project Scarlet, um, or whatever the official name of the Xbox new Xbox will be, and the PlayStation 5 in holiday 2020. Uh, outside of that, not a whole bunch of really other interesting, super interesting news. They talked a little bit about the controller. Uh, they talked a little bit about some games that we might see, including a new or whatever Blue Point's next game is likely another remaster because that's what blue point does or the folks who made it a shadow of the colossus um josh one thing they said that i thought was interesting and i and this was brought up somewhere else and i can't remember where i heard this um, but in the article in the wired article about the playstation 5 they talked about this being the biggest game for blue point ever and someone theorized that that might mean literally big as in shadow of the colossus 2 well <laughs> do you have any desire for because there we all know or most people know that there were a number of uh, colossi cut from the game initially back in the day yeah so there's a whole bunch of designs for colossi that never made it in they obviously did were the ones who handled the remaster of shadow of the colossus on ps4 do we think they would really be entrusted to make a shadow of the colossus 2 do we even want does anybody want that game I guess the sales numbers would say that. I'm not really sure. I know it took them forever to get the remaster out. Um, so I don't know if that's because they were dedicating resources to a sequel. Right. Or what. <laughs> but I'd rather see Shadow of the Classes 2 than Eco 2. Yeah. I, I mean, the big rumor is or the big thought that this is going to be Demon Souls. A remake yeah. of Demon Souls. Yeah. Do, you, do you have any desire to play Demon Souls? <sighs> I mean... If they did, if they started the franchise new, I might be more interested because, mm -hmm. like, I didn't really get into those games when they came out, and I don't really want to jump into Dark Souls three. I know they're like the spiritual successors to Demon Souls, right? Right. Yep. Demon Souls was the first. So, I mean, I, I'm just interested to see what they're doing, but right. I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not even sure where I'm landing on consoles next year because it looks like it's going to probably be one console for me at least at the start like it was originally yeah. so so uh, i'm interested to see what they do but so since you are working hard on whatever they're working on <laughs> yeah since you said you're you know only in on one console which i think is totally reasonable i'm probably only in on one console uh, how are you going to decide are you just going xbox because that's your main or how are you going to decide what you pick up no i'm not going xbox because it's my main because i mean we've talked about it recently like as much as I love Xbox, it's really been an up and down year. And at least with PlayStation, it's been consistently good. Mm -hmm. So um, even though there's like longer gaps, there's longer gaps in PlayStation game releases for the most part. 
Right. But the quality is better, at least as far as the stories we've gotten from games this year. So while I might have played 15 more Xbox games, that doesn't mean they were all better than the PlayStation games <laughs> that I played. But aren't you, you're getting Halo at launch though. Don't you want to play Halo? I'm kind of, honestly, Halo doesn't sell a console for me anymore. What about a new Horizon or Fable? Yeah, oh, well, Horizon, well, you're talking about Forza Horizon, but... Yeah, Forza Horizon, or a new Forza, I should say, because I yeah. always think of Forza no, Horizon. No, I mean, Forza Horizon I know will be a good game, mm-hmm. so if I can play it, I would love to. Uh, Fable, I'm not at the level where, like, Donnie is, where, like, like Donnie loves Fable, he's been waiting for right. it for a long time. I would be happy right. to see a new Fable. They would really need to wow me with, like, a new IP, because I've played all the Xbox IPs to death. If PlayStation announced that Horizon Zero Dawn 2 was a launch game for PS5, is there anything Xbox could release that would make you get the Xbox first? I don't think so. So, yeah, I I mean, obviously as the PlayStation fanboy, that's probably where I'm going to go. But I will say uh, Xbox is making a good argument for people who are just jumping in uh, with Game Pass and the value that is there. It's hard to not recommend that for someone who isn't a super hardcore gamer yeah. it's very hard to suggest oh get this other thing instead granted with the changes they've made to playstation now it's more appealing but still not quite on that game pass level so hey that's the ps5 i'm sure we'll find out more early next year they did say that this would be the last news drop on the ne- about the playstation 5 for this year we won't be finding out anything else new um, and I'm guessing, do you think that Xbox will say anything at XOO19, their event in London? Do you think they'll talk about Scarlet at all there? No, I think we'll just see xCloud stuff. I don't think we'll see anything about the new Xbox for at least until next year. Okay. That's kind of what I was thinking, too. I figured that it would be all about xCloud there, but I'm not on the inside like you are when it comes to Xbox. So, All right. So that's a little bit of news there in what it might be. In some of the worst kept secret, but still <laughs> big news, uh, Riot Games, uh, the makers of League of Legends, had their 10-year anniversary of League of Legends. So they decided, hey, it is time for us to talk about uh, a whole bunch of other things that are going on in yeah. the studio. Uh, so, in general, some things to know. Teamfight Tactics, which they also work on, is coming to mobile, so that auto battler, which folks really seem to enjoy and is really blown up especially on twitch and such is coming to mobile so if that's something you might be interested in that is something on the way uh there's a new animated series there's a documentary coming and then they announced some other games one being rune terra which is a free-to-play card game uh they call announced league of legends i think it's called wild rift which is a 5v5 moba that is coming to console they also talked about um, a game that doesn't have a title yet, which is Project A, which is their unnamed shooter, which is apparently a combination of CSGO and Overwatch. They also talked about their fighting game, which I think is called Project L, uh, which everyone, this has been the game that's been rumored and developed for a really long time is that fighting game. And then uh, Project F, which is another game that they talked about, which I don't know that any of us really know too much about. Um, but then they also announced an esports manager for League of Legends where you can build uh, an esports team, kind of like Football Manager or any of those other games that are out there, but all revolving around esports and League of Legends specifically. Uh, that's a lot to do is to drop in one night, Josh. Any of these 
riot announcements make you excited? Anything that you're interested in? What do you think about all of this news that they just kind of dropped all at one time on like a random Saturday night? It's interesting because they've had so much negative press this year. They have. That it, this only makes me think it must be so much worse than we've been hearing if they're working in all these games with how small of a studio they are. Like we're looking Riot's at huge. Well, for this many games compared to like watching Sony Santa Monica do God of War and like the stress that they were all going through, imagine they were right. doing four or five other games at the same time. Like yeah, it just Riot seems has crazy. Back as of. No, this is according to Wikipedia, so who knows how accurate it is. But in 2018, they had 24 locations with over 2,500 employees. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that big. Yeah, Riot's huge. <laughs> okay, well, then never mind. I forget <laughs> I said that. Um, yeah, I mean, good for them. There's a lot of games, and they're all different in the way they play. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. interested in another card game. There's too many of those out there. Man, there's a lot of card games. Um, I might be willing to try the... Because the, the MOBA is going to be on console and phones. So I might yep. be willing to try Wild Rift on my phone. Um, but MOBAs just really aren't for me. But I would be willing to give it a shot. I'm more interested in the, their Counter-Strike ripoff, which is what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or Team Fortress ripoff. Um, the fighting game looks... The art looks great, depending on if that's a, a screenshot or an art. Uh, um, like a... Uh, drawn picture i'm not sure but right uh, and then like the last game looks almost like a titan quest or diablo style game which looks interesting like a dungeon crawl so i'm not interested in esports manager at all i think it's funny it's called (laughs) lol esports manager (laughs) well league of legends right i know but it's a fun it's like lol esports manager (laughs) <laughs> like yeah, yeah, why would I play this? <laughs> uh, but no, but good, good for the people who are who are all in on that. Um, very cool. But I'm, I appreciate Riot for what they've done and how they have successfully made one of higher rated board games that are out as well for like one yeah. project they made. Um, so good for them. But none of this is screaming. I need to pre-order or play right away. Yeah, I kind of was hoping when they started announcing all these games that there might be a Mechs vs. Minions 2 or some sort of other board game that would get announced, and that just didn't happen, which I was a little disappointed by. I was really hoping they would do that, because like you said, Mechs vs. Minions is a game people really love. Uh, It's a high-quality production value for a very good price for what you're getting, Uh, and I was really hoping that we might see some other sequel to that, but it doesn't look like that's in the cards, at least for right now. Uh, Project A, though, obviously, as someone who's a big Overwatch fan, is something I'm very interested in. Uh, Overwatch and, and Blizzard, for better or for worse, has have been um, it hasn't been all smooth sailing as of late with some changes to the games, uh, the characters that they're doing, and you know the Overwatch version, the Switch version, excuse me, of Overwatch just released not that long ago, and it's not even on the top thirty in eShop sales right now. Yeah. So you know, Overwatch for how much I love it and adore it. Um, it, it's struggling a little bit, I think, right now, as far as the player base goes. The Halloween event is going on right now, and it has great skins, but there's nothing else new with it. So they're, from a content perspective, it, it needs a shot in the arm, and and there's been a lot of rumors that we'll get Overwatch 2 at BlizzCon this year, which will just be really interesting no matter what. <laughs> um, But yeah, Project A, I think, hopefully, if nothing else, kind of pushes them to, to keep making some improvements that are... I think would be would be welcome to Overwatch, no matter how much I do love it. 
So uh, with that, one of the games that we had talked about not all that long ago, and we're kind of wondering what the deal with it was, was Doom <laughs> Eternal, because we hadn't heard much. And the reason we hadn't heard much is because uh, Doom Eternal is not coming out this year anymore, Josh. Yeah, that's not a good move. <laughs> <laughs> so Doom Eternal was pushed to March 20th of 2020. Yeah. Uh, they said they basically needed some more time uh, to finish up the game to their standards. The Switch version has been pushed to even a further future date uh, with no uh, information specifically given other than it will be further in the future. Uh, the statement from Bethesda slash Doom says, quote, throughout the development of Doom Eternal, our goal has been to deliver a game that exceeds your greatest expectations across the board. To make sure we're delivering the best experience for Doom Eternal to live up to our standard of speed and polish, we've made the decision to extend our launch date by a few months to March 20th, 2020. We know many fans will be disappointed by this delay, but we are confident that Doom Eternal will deliver a gaming experience that is worth the wait. So, when you heard that, Josh, what did you think? What were your thoughts on hearing about this delay for Doom Eternal? Well... I just, I mean, I'm always in favor of a game de- delaying if it needs mm-hmm. to get the finishing touches on it, obviously. I just think it's really bad timing for them. The holiday season is when you want to be releasing a game. Even if you have competition, you have the widest market available to you because people are just buying and buying. Right. Uh, March 2020 is going to be problematic. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff out around then, just before then, and after then. So... Doom Eternal's not competing with Call of Duty. They're different games. So they're not avoiding the Call of Duty like competition because it's not. like It's a very unique game. And I still think that it could hold its own in March. But we've we, what we've just seen was this year proved how crazy it's going to get in the first quarter now of, of the year. Right. And a lot of companies, just like films, started moving their projects to be releasing early in the year where ultimately it used to be just an empty space right yeah it's, it's interesting because you know if you look at 2020 in february you have ori and the will of the wisp the last of us part two gods and monsters in march you have final fantasy 7 remake Watch Dogs legion animal crossing new horizons and then in april you have cyberpunk is that less of a daunting lineup than what we have this fall i feel like that's way more daunting yeah it's way more that's why that's like does the and not only that, but those are games that you are going to be playing for a while. It's not right. None like, of those are short. So you're you're going to be buying Doom Eternal when you're done with your sixty to ninety hour RPG or whatever you're playing. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know. I just I think it's a bummer that they had to do this. I might have even waited longer to push it back. Do you think summer would have been better for them if like they did June, July, June, yeah. July? Like maybe I would have waited longer. Maybe they still will. Uh, it's just a bummer they couldn't get it out in November right. because that's a great time this year because there isn't going to be too much out in November. Well, and, you know, end of March for most companies is the end of their fiscal year. Yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering if that's kind of, we'll push it to there, but we probably can't afford to push it too much more than that. Um, and I, I guess, you know, maybe they were thinking that since it's not releasing on switch on the same day releasing it the same day as animal crossing is a huge deal i don't know yeah for nintendo i don't think it's a big deal for yeah. their switch sales like yeah that's not gonna be a factor so. all right so no, no doom eternal this year it was on our metafall contest and since it is pushed out of the window 
that just means those scores won't count in any way, shape, or form. So we'll have one less game to add up in our Metafall contest, um, but that's how that will work. We just won't count it. All right, just a couple more uh, stories to round things out today. Uh, Call of Duty, Josh, no more loot boxes. Good. <laughs> uh, but of course, can't be that simple. There will be a battle pass. Are battle passes the the new loot boxes, Josh? <laughs> kind of. They're kind of like loot passes, right? Because now you get to see what you're getting, but you just still have to kind of work towards it. Well, I, so I'm a big fan of battle passes because you can still play a game mm-hmm. and enjoy it as opposed like so with apex i did i do have the battle pass but yes i played the first season yes without a battle pass and i Indeed. i i don't you still get the same guns yep it's all cosmetics yep you're not getting a tactical advantage i don't know Correct. if call of duty is going to handle it the same way they said they're going to but I can still play the game if I am enjoying it and not have to worry about loot boxes popping up all the time. I mean, it's still going to always be in your face. Buy the battle pass. Just go on battle pass. You want this gun? Get the battle pass. Like, that will all still be there, but I feel like it kind of... I know you can still play games with loot boxes and and still, like, play it, Mm -hmm. but I feel it's a little bit more streamlined, if that makes sense. Yeah. Everything is in front of you. It's laid out in front of you. You can see what you can get. You can still unlock, in at least Apex, you can still unlock crates with experience from playing. Right. So you're not losing out on that aspect. Right. Um, I like, I like, I should say, I don't dislike battle passes. That's probably the better way to say that. Yeah, I, I kind of feel indifferent about battle passes. I understand the... I understand why people like them and the engagement that it causes because you see a very clear path of what is laid out and what you need to get there. And if you want, you know, the weapon camo that is awarded when you get X number of experience or to X level, you know how much time you have to put in before the end of the season to get that thing or how many games you have to win or whatever it might be. So, so I do appreciate that factor of it. Uh, I just generally, I guess, yes, loot boxes are random. So I, I get that. Um, and you know, the, the battle pass is a one-time purchase. You buy it once you have it. Um, but I also just see I'm like, well, you're still just randomly getting, not really randomly, but you're still just getting cosmetic stuff. Yeah. So I don't know. And maybe it's just because I'm so used to overwatch that I, where I basically very rarely to almost never buy actual loot boxes. And I just, I get what I get when I level up and that's, it is what it is. And I just don't care that much since it doesn't affect gameplay at all. Yeah. Um, but I think it's good. I think it's nice that they're they're trying something different and, and recognizing the issues people had with what they did in the past and how they did it in the past. And they are trying to remedy that the best way they can uh, while still obviously trying to make some money at the same time. Yeah. So so we'll see how it works out. It's not going to launch day and date with the game. It's going to come at a later time. So it's not something we'll really know all the details about when Call of Duty launches in just a few days here. Uh, But be on the lookout. There will be a battle pass for Call of Duty down the road. And finally, another thing coming right around the corner. Stadia's Founders Edition rolls out on November 19th. Josh, do you have your USB-C cables ready? I do, actually. (laughs) They're on clearance at Target right now. (laughs) (laughs) So the big thing or or the kind of interesting thing of note when, uh, you know, Google announced some more solid information about the stadia release things to know about it and the big thing that kind of was pointed out is 
the Stadia controller will only work wirelessly at launch with the Chromecast Ultra. Yep. Anything else, whether you're playing on a PC or laptop, you'll have to connect your controller with USB-C. I don't necessarily think that's a big deal. Uh, Josh, is this what you were expecting, though? I know you have this on order, correct? Yep. Yeah, this... I mean, I think they were pretty much... I don't. I won't say they were upfront, but I think it was known that this is considered a soft launch, right? So it's not expected to be at full functionality because even even the phones aren't universally supported right at right at launch. Correct. Correct. So yep. my phone uses USB C to connect, which means I can plug in the controller to my phone. I'm 100 percent okay with that. Um, same thing with my computer. The computers. I'm mm-hmm. probably gonna have to get an adapter for my computer if I want to do that. Um, because you need a USB C adapter to plug into USB because the ends are different. Right, right, right. Um, and I don't have USB C on my computer. Uh, so that's fine. Uh, this is kind of like, so essentially for me, and I'm not everyone, I got this as like a proof of concept console. Mm-hmm. It's pretty affordable. It was a, like 119. For Chromecast Ultra, which is awesome because I need one of those anyways. Right. Um, that's almost the full value of... Yeah, darn close. Then a $60 controller and yep. all of the content for Destiny 2, mm-hmm. which now has cross-save. So I can just play my character right out of the box. Right. And um, six months of the service. Plus, they're now promising free games more than just Destiny 2. So I'm happy... Even if it doesn't work, I've been an early adopter on a lot of things that did not pan mm-hmm. out. Right. Um, and this is just one of those things I'm doing. So uh, if there are people disappointed with this news, I totally get that. Right. Like, that could be potentially a bummer if you didn't know what it was you were getting. Mm-hmm. But I, I did. Uh, but that's because I, I read a good amount about it, you know, PS. VG has a Stadia podcast that talks about yeah, it. Yeah, they do. We talk about it in our Discord. So I'm not just – in this situation, I'm not just a general consumer buying the product, even though I did buy it like back – like pre-order after the, the press conference right away. Right. But I could have canceled that from anywhere from now then until now. So I wasn't really worried about it. So have you or did you sign up to get into the testing for Project X Cloud? I did. I didn't get that invite yet though. Okay, so here's my next question for you then. Uh, I did not get Stadia just because, for me, I'm like, I have a thousand places to play games already. Yeah. Obviously, by being the founder, you get the Destiny 2 and the content there included for for this. What's it going to take, or how are you going to decide when you buy a game on Stadia versus when you buy a game on Xbox, PlayStation, Switch? How are you going to decide when you do that? Yeah, I still don't know. Okay. Um... I kind of want to use it like a Game Pass service. Mm-hmm. So if they're promising a game a month, right? Because you can you can just cancel your membership at any point, but you can still use everything you have. So if I have, I have bought a game and I decide to cancel the membership, that game is still playable on Stadia. So I still can do that. I'm not losing access to my games. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like right now I do Humble Bundle and I paused it because I didn't want the content from last month. Right. So I can just restart it back up and use these things. So I'm still trying to figure out why I would ever buy a game on Stadia over a console. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping they answer that for me. 
Right. But I don't I don't have that answer right now. And and I don't know that I'm dying to be at my brother's house and fire up a game because I'm so like socially awkward. I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> um, and that's not a slam on people who would do that. I just can't imagine myself in that situation. Right. It, it would be very, it would be awesome for games like Jackbox and mm-hmm. maybe even like the, the Munchkin four player game that's coming out. Oh games yeah. yeah. That it's a lot easier to play with other people. I think that's a great use for it. Um, mm-hmm. And then to show people how good it is. So like, right. hey, turn your TV on. Look at this. Boom, I'm playing, you know, Destiny 2 in right. you know, 4K on your TV and you don't even have a console. How cool is that? Right. So yeah, th- there's definitely po- bonuses or like going to this extra life thing. I wouldn't need to bring mm-hmm. a console with me or, you know. Right. That's true. It would be so much easier. But those are like... Uh- those aren't common situations. Yeah, those are a little more niche case. Yeah, but yeah. still, still obviously situations that you're in. What? Where do you think you'll primar- primarily play this or use this? Well, I think my goal is to mostly use it on my TV. Okay. With the 4K um, mm-hmm. Chromecast. However, I do anticipate um, sitting in bed on my phone playing it before bedtime. Gotcha. And then I can just plug my phone in when the battery's dead and then go to, <laughs> and then go to bed. Excellent. Um, right. So that, uh, that's ideally, I think, the situation. So I'm, I'm not going to be playing it at work. I'm not going to be playing it in, on a commute because mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't commute. But there's definitely people who travel that could right. use it on a commute. Right. Planes have free Wi-Fi. Man, when I go to Florida, bring that Google Stadia. <laughs> play Destiny the whole flight. It'll fly by. Go to Disney World. Why ride the rides? I can sit in my room and I can play video games all That's day. That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, that is all the news from the video game world. We chose to talk about that this week. And with that, we're going to go ahead and move on to our topic of the show. A few weeks back, we covered part one of Mark Rosewater's talk at GDC 2016 about the 20 lessons he learned in his 20 years of designing Magic the Gathering. After a brief hiatus for some other topics... We're going to move on to part two this week of his talk. Again, you can watch the entire talk on YouTube or just broken down into three articles on the Magic the Gathering website. So without further ado, part two of Mark Rosewater's 20 lessons in 20 years of designing magic. Uh, The first article is left off after lesson six. So we're on to lesson number seven. This lesson, Josh, allow the players the ability to make the game personal. Yeah, I mean, how how do you not allow them to make it personal? <laughs> it's like a rule: don't make this personal. <laughs> <laughs> I do think. You think it's, do you think it's easy to make every game personal? No, but that's in the power of the person playing, not necessarily the designer. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's ways for them to do that, meaning giving your actions more of an impact as you're playing, but. I mean, you can make any game personal to you if it's in the context of uh, more like a legacy kind of feeling to it. Then I get that. But mm-hmm. um, I think that's important, but it doesn't make or break a game. If you have a story you want to tell, then you tell your story. And right. If people don't like it, then they don't like it. Right. Yeah, I think this is interesting. And and one of the reasons that when I played a lot of, a lot of Magic, I enjoyed playing it is that there were always a ton of different ways to build your deck, but it was your deck when you yeah. were done. The car- the cards you picked were the cards you picked. 
when you were picking, you know, the lands that you used, you could pick whichever mountains you wanted that had ever been printed. Yeah. You know, what art did you like the best? And you wanted those mountains to be yours. So I think that is one cool thing that magic does well. And I think you hear more and more in video games, them trying to do that more, right? Oh, play this however you want. Approach this how you want. Dishonored 2 did that. Uh, the Outer Worlds, which is coming out soon, talks about how you can play the game how you want to uh, and really making it kind of your experience. So I think games that allow you to do that are, are definitely games I think people come back to more often. But maybe I think there are still games, though, that uh, might be a little more rigid that I, are still fun to play. But even if you think about Euro games, right? you can have different strategies or different paths to victory that there's not just one way to kind of do it. So overall, I think that makes sense. I think that, yeah, making the game personal seems like a good thing. Anything else you want to add about lesson seven, Josh? No, I don't think so. All right, here we go. Lesson eight, the details are where the players fall in love with your game. Yes, (laughs) I agree with that statement. Okay. Um, if you're talking about magic uh, or any game, if flavor text wasn't important, it wouldn't be in games anymore. And for right. people who don't know what flavor text means, it's just literally uh, a description of an image on a card that has nothing to do with how the game plays. It just kind of gives you a little bit of a story of a character or maybe a limerick or a joke or, or something along the lines um, that adds more to the game it's like grimoire in destiny Mm -hmm. you don't need it but it's there for people who want it and there's a reason why devon loves destiny and other people enjoy destiny because there are details to allow devon to love destiny right so i do i do i do really agree with that and that's not just words the details and pictures um, even with borders on cards and things like that, all those things add up to to doing that. Well, and I even think of when we talked about uh, The Last of Us 2, when they did their most recent reveal trailer, and I did that podcast with Donnie, and we were talking about it. We were talking about really inane things that in the course of the game probably don't matter. But when we're talking about in the trailer when... Ellie is kind of going on the ground and she rolls to her side to shoot with her bow and arrow. Just the way that animation looked and felt how, when she was running and she stumbled a little bit, like how she turned her leg to pivot and push off because she had more weight on that side. Just these things that really probably in the grand scheme of everything or, or how the game plays and all this stuff don't matter that much, but they're the little things that we keyed in on while we were watching this trailer about this thing we enjoy that that was what we were talking about. Not the overall big, broad spectrum stuff. It was all the little nuance. It was all the little minutia uh, that really sucked us in and made us pay attention to what was going on. So, yeah, I think when you, in order for, I think in some ways, in order for you to fall in love with a game, there has to be those details available for you to want to find out more about. There has to be this other place for you to go look. Um, And if you don't have that, it makes it harder for people to fall in love with your game. So, all right. Since Mark Rosewater seems like a pretty smart dude. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Lesson number nine, allow your players to have a sense of ownership. Yeah, that's hard because you can't do that in every game. But 
Um, I think you kind of hit it earlier um, when we were talking about the ability to make the game personal. Right. I think it still fall, it falls in that same area um, with magic specifically, but mm-hmm. I, th- you know, I don't I don't necessarily have a strong feeling one way or the other. I think the games that allow you to do that, um, it's inherently built into the gameplay. So right, you're not necessarily in the moment acknowledging a sense of ownership per se in the situation. At least in my head, that's what I'm thinking. But if anything you can do um, where the player doesn't realize they're doing it, but it enhances the game, I think right. I think that is important. Well, and I think of, you know, when I think of companies taking something created by the fans of the game, like right away when I think of a video game situation, I think of like Griffball and Halo. Yeah. Right. That was a fan created thing. Other people created Griffball and rather than taking it over per se, they just made it possible for you to play this game regularly, right? right? That it was a, a format that could just be gone and could be played. Uh, and it was something that was created by the community as a thing to do that. When you look at, you know, for me, I think of a game like Overwatch, obviously, because I played it all the time. In the arcade, they will put modes in there that players had requested or players really wanted, um, or they do now have their kind of design studio area in Overwatch. Um, so players are able to design things and do things and things from that have made it into the arcade that are quote unquote sanctioned by, you know, blizzard if you want to. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it's having that part of me sometimes gets a little bit like, Oh, are you just using your players to create things for you? So you don't have to, but you know, as players, it's fun to do those things. And I think of even just, making maps in halo back in the day i made a ton of maps none of them were any good but i did it because it was fun and i really enjoyed the game and it was a thing i wanted to do so having the ability to do those things and make the game play in the way that i would want it to play or wished it could play was always a good thing so yeah sense of ownership it seems real real good all right lesson number 10 josh leave room for the player to explore what does that mean to you sir Well, me, a linear game player, doesn't necessarily agree with this lesson. <laughs> Ooh, interesting. I love it. Let's talk about it. Uh, I'm like 50-50 split. There's, there's obviously, because they're not making games for me, I just happen to make games that people play. Right. That people have made. Um, for me, I, I guess it could be a broader definition. Leaving room could be anything from a very small to a very large uh area of of play Mm -hmm. for me i like the narrative driven stories that lead me along and give me the illusion that i can explore right but maybe i don't necessarily have that ability while i also understand that there's people out there who want to be able to explore as much as possible so i'm like taking this lesson literally right i know that it's more broad um but for me the first thing i think of is open world versus linear storytelling in video games. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's, that's how I kind of see that. And, and I don't, I don't necessarily need room to explore more than what they want me to explore. Right. Same for board games. Yeah. When I think of this, I think of, you know, are you still, I don't know how far have you played any more of the last of us since we last podcasted? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. I think of a game like the last of us, for instance, where, 
obviously the situation happens and an incident occurs and the story and the narrative in the game tells you a little bit about what happened. But if you go explore, find the collectibles, read the newspapers, do all these other things. Sure. You are able to get more information if you want to about yep. what happened and kind of how the situation happened. I also think of board games, especially board games that have a lot of choice. If there seems to be only really one path to victory, that this is the best path to always go. Am I being punished for exploring other things? Am I being punished for trying this other strategy that really isn't ever going to be viable? Well, if so, then why is it in here? Why are you giving me the option to do this if it's never going to let me get the results that I want? Right. So I I think exploring is good in some ways. But like you said, I think if you're going to leave the room to explore, uh, there needs to be at least not always everything has to be a viable option. But I have to be rewarded for exploring at least sometimes in what I'm trying to do. Sure. That makes sense. But, yeah. yeah. Anything else about Lesson 10 other than you think it's crap? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't think of it the way that when, the way that you described it. And, and I think that is important to have, um, like, in control, like, to be able to read all of the stuff you're finding along your way. Right. Um, so, so I wasn't looking at it in the bigger picture in that sense. So. Um, in that aspect, I do think it's important. Yeah, but I do agree that sometimes, you know, I like right now, whew, man, I am really trying to finish Borderlands 3, and I have <laughs> I have explored too much. I am trying to just f- get – I'm trying to finish it at this point. <laughs> the game just seems to keep going and going. <laughs> All right, lesson 11, and this is actually one of my favorite ones, and I, I think it's an interesting one to talk about. Lesson 11. If everyone likes your game, but no one loves it, it will fail. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. We talk about, there's a lot of games that we like that Mm -hmm. we play once. Right. And we might not even tell people about it. And a game won't succeed unless people tell other people about it and tell them about how much they enjoy it and why they enjoy it and have conversations about it. And so it's like, Control versus, I don't know. I can't even, that's a problem. There's a lot of games I like. I just can't think of them right now. <laughs> so, but like, I was just trying to convince two of my friends to play Horizon Zero Dawn and Control on Saturday night because that's how passionate I am about those games. I'm not talking right. to them about Friday the 13th or even Borderlands 3, honestly. Right. Um, which was a big surprise for me uh, to not love it, but I like it, but I'm not playing it because right. I like it. I don't love it. Yeah. And that's kind of the interesting thing that I think about this is that uh, in his article, Mark Rosewater talks about how they, you know, as they were developing games or as they've been wor- working on things, they realized they would much rather have their feedback be half the people think this thing is awful and yeah. half the people love it, then most everyone likes it. Because sure. if most everyone likes it, that's not enough. Because you're like ambivalent to it. Yeah. Right. It's a game that I like, and it's in the world. Right. And when <laughs> people end. talk about what are your like, what are your best or worst experiences of the year, those are the things people talk about. Or you know, people don't talk about this game that was kind of okay that they played. Right. Exactly. So, and I think that's just really fascinating that sometimes you know. <laughs> I, I am someone who 
am okay with trying things I'm not going to be great at because I think it's it's important to stretch yourself and try new things even if you're not going to be super great at them. But I guess that maybe in the world of designing games, they got to be really good or really bad. <laughs> like doing a good game isn't enough anymore, it doesn't seem. Well, there's so much out there. We have so much content. A good game isn't good anymore. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think even from the perspective of if a game is just good it's less interesting to even play than maybe a game that's not very good or even bad because there's just interest there and why is this so bad like what am i gonna what new experience am i gonna have or what am i gonna learn about why i don't like this thing yeah but if something's just mediocre it's like well that was just i I have no feelings now i played this and i feel nothing yeah no i hear you Man, there you go. If everyone <laughs> likes your game, but no one loves it, it will fail. Hmm. There you go. All right. Lesson number 12. Don't design <laughs> to prove you can do something. Yeah, that's literally taken from life advice. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. <laughs> right? <laughs> that can go. And you can take that anywhere. Right out of gaming, just right into your real life. Um, that's where the ego thing comes in, right? So people are told they can't do something or it's something that people say can't be done, but maybe Mm. it's shouldn't be done. And that's why it hasn't been done. Like, correct. Um, yeah. And for sure. And I think we're all diff. We're at some point in our lives, we've all been guilty of doing something for our own ego that we probably shouldn't have done. Right. And sure, that goes right into the design world. I can I can only imagine, as a non-designer, I can only imagine the things that must go through a designer's head and with their talent, what they can do, mm-hmm. it has to be even more difficult because you have to sit there and you have to decide what is important to do, not not just what you want to do. Like you have brainstorming ideas in any medium, you're going to have ideas that, our winners and losers. We just talked about the goods right. and bads and greats and terribles. Uh, like, what do you think the people who designed Conquer's Bad for a day, they were like, should we do this? Because <laughs> <laughs> well, this guy does some pretty bad things. Like, what yeah. did they not do? <laughs> right. Well, and it's interesting because when I think of this, and I, this is me, you know, pro- projecting onto to others. So I have no idea. But the game I thought of when I first read this, the game I thought of right away was No Man's Sky. Sure. They wanted to prove they could do it. And now, after multiple years, everything about No Man's Sky seems very... The game seems much better than it was when it launched. But that game almost felt like, hey, we're going to do this to prove that we can. Yes. And the problem is, though, that, well, they didn't do... They didn't design what they said (laughs) that they could do. Well, they did, but it took them so long. Right. And like I said, that might not be true at all. But when I think of games that fall into this category, that to me seems like a game that would fall into this category. And I think like you said, you know, it comes down to ego. ego. We, for better or for worse, we often want to do things for ourselves to prove to ourselves that we can do this thing, whether or not that's the good or right or best thing to do. Sure. So... Yeah, this is interesting because I I feel like as a designer, as I have muddled in my designs and and tried to design board games many times, I feel like this is actually something I get caught in a lot of, well, I can figure this out. 
I can figure out a way to make this work. Yeah. Maybe I can sometimes, <laughs> but maybe I can't. And it, and I need to just figure out a different way or another way uh, to do what I'm doing and not just try to slam my head into the wall over and over to prove I can make this work the way that I want to. So. Right. Indeed. All right. Lesson 13. Make the fun part also the correct strategy to win. Yeah. I mean, it's no fun winning when it's not. It's no fun. Uh, that was going to be super redundant. Uh, <laughs> here's okay. I'll tie this to a real life example. So when we played through Risk Legacy forever ago when it came out. Mm hmm. We would frequently run into situations where we're playing four players. It's obviously competitive because it's risk, but we, you are, you know what you need to do to unlock new boxes for the game. And we were run into situations where um, one of us had the ability to do a move that would let us open a box, mm -hmm. but their decision was like, well, I could do that, but if I do this, I'll win this game. Right. And they would always choose that option. Yep. So I can't imagine it was any fun for that person to win that way. And it definitely wasn't fun for everyone else playing because they wanted to experience more of the game. Right. But I also don't fault that person for playing the game the way the game wants to be played. Right. And I think that sometimes happens... I shouldn't say sometimes. I think that does happen in board games often of you get to that decision point of I can do X and win or I can do Y and see how this goes and maybe have fun, but maybe not win. Right. And exactly. that is that's a that's a cruddy way to feel in that situation because everyone else at the table probably knows the situation too, knows what you can do. And I actually feel this way very often when I'm playing a game that has hidden information where I know you know, whether it be Catan or I'm like, oh, if I flip over this, you know, card, I know I'll have my 10 victory points or whatever. It's like, oh, do I do it? Do I not do it? Uh, these other people are pretty close. I see this other person's trying to finish their thing and maybe they'll win if they do that. But uh, what do I do? Like, do I just, is winning what's supposed to be fun or is playing the game what's supposed to be fun? Yeah. So, you know what game this makes me think of, though, from a video game perspective? What? It's a game that we get yelled at all the time for our oh. opinions about. <laughs> well, if they made it fun, maybe I would play it more. <laughs> but genuinely, I don't find the combat in Breath of the Wild fun. And I know that you don't necessarily have to do a ton of combat. There's exploring you can do, but you eventually have to go fight the beasts and all this stuff. I just don't find the combat that fun. And I know that there's a lot of cool things you can do, and the physics in the world are awesome, and you have all those powers and with and all that stuff you can do. When I thought, and this is where I think I came down and why I liked Horizon Zero Dawn so much more, I loved the combat in Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, yeah. I never skipped fighting any robot dinosaurs ever because it was so yeah. darn fun <laughs> to fight them. Yeah. So, and again, my personal preference, others had different preferences when it came to that. But for me, the fun of fighting the things and fighting the dinosaurs and, and taking those on in Horizon was significant. I actively usually try to avoid combat in breath of the wild because i just did not find it fun yeah i so, hear you all right any other thoughts on lesson 13 don't be mad at us donnie we just don't like breath of the wild <laughs> that's all and it's not even that it's a bad game it's just i don't think it's as good as everyone else does that's all it's not bad well we figured it out it's not fun <laughs> <laughs> there we go perfect 
All right, so that takes us down through 13 of Mark Rosewater's lessons. There are seven to go, and at some point we will go back and finish the last seven. But let us know where any of those lessons, did they stick out to you? Do they give you thoughts, feelings, anything like that? Uh, we would love to hear. Speaking of which, Josh, we do have a listener question. Would you like to take us through it? Sure. Friend of the show, Mr. William Herkowitz himself, at Herkowitz on Twitter, says, Worst board game slash video game you've played this year so far? Question mark? Oof. This is and tough. This is a tough one. <laughs> um, I was looking through my board games. I've definitely played a bad board game this year. <laughs> um, I think putting worst on the title makes me feel bad. Um, the game you had the least fun with. Yeah. It's really difficult to say because I, I don't think it's necessarily bad a slam on the game. I think Titan Race is my least favorite board game I played this year. Okay. Um, and that's because I didn't have fun with who I was playing with and who I was playing with didn't have fun. Um, I don't think the game is a bad game though. Right. I just, uh, maybe it's just not suited for us. I can see that. Um, there was a board game and I couldn't find it, which is really sad because I think I might've gotten rid of it that I played this year that I didn't really like. So I can't even remember the name of it. Um, but when I told my partner about this question, she had an immediate answer to this. Really? Yes. Harry Potter, Hogwarts Battle, Defense Against the Dark Arts. I I thought that might have been a candidate. (laughs) Yep. She instantly, instantly picked that as it it wasn't even a question in her mind. There was no thought process for her. And this is someone who's a huge Harry Potter fan and like Harry Potter, Hogwarts Battle a lot. So that was her least favorite game. And if you remember from our review, that game did not go well for her when we played it. Uh, she also mentioned Fox in the Forest, but I told her she couldn't pick that one. She wasn't allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> because I like Fox in the Forest too darn much. That game, I think, is really good. She didn't like that either. But yeah, I, I think overall, we I've been pretty fortunate with the board games that I've played this year that I've overall had a pretty good experience. Um, but yeah, I know that Harry Potter, Defense Against the Dark Arts, uh, was definitely divisive. If you were to pick a video game, sir, what would be your least favorite video game of the year? It's, uh, I don't, if I'm going to pick my least favorite video game experience of the year, mm-hmm. I was playing Jagged Alliance Rage, which is a game I also had to review for PSVG. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> um, I really did not enjoy that game. Uh, uh, and I had to try to be open-minded about it, which is something that happens with a lot of reviews. Right. You know, you just because I don't know. Uh, I did not enjoy that game at all. And in Pandemic, the board game is a close second on the Xbox. Oof-tus. Yeah. Um, because just they they made that game, in my opinion, it seems like such a rushed job. And the production value and the con- gameplay and the controls is terrible in that game. Yeah. Um, so to tie between those two, I'll say. Uh, for me. I don't remember if this was this year. I think it was uh, a game I did have to review. It might have been end of last year. It was Hover. Hover. We both reviewed that. (laughs) Yeah, that was a little rough. I wasn't a huge fan of Hover. But if I'm going to talk about a bigger game that I played this year that 
just didn't land the way I was hoping or I wanted it to. I was considering saying Anthem, but I'm not going to. I'm actually going to go ahead and say um, Far Cry New Dawn. Oh, you know what? I would agree with you on that. It just... I mean, obviously, I know that you liked Far Cry 5 more than I did, but I still finished Far Cry 5. I played the entire thing. Um, so I liked it enough to do that, right? Far Cry New Dawn, who I oh, I just couldn't even get into it. I tried so hard, and I just could not find the joy in that game. And I know some people loved it. Some people liked it more than Far Cry 5. I just could not get over the hump on that game. No, I hear you. I, I, I did not enjoy that game at all. So... There are our least favorite or worst games of the year, but don't worry. When we do our end of the year awards, we will potentially have some categories slightly related to this. Maybe not as explicit, though. Um, So with that, we're going to kind of bring the show to a close. We are obviously a gaming show, but we do want to leave you with one recommendation, suggestion, or thing we are currently into that is helping us live a well-rounded life. Josh, what is your recommendation for our dear listeners? Well, it's that spooky time of the year again, as I said last week and the week before. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I watched Anna and the Apocalypse, which is a movie I've been actually looking forward to seeing. And I got Mm -hmm. a notification. It was on Epics, which I get as part of my cable internet package. You just made that channel up. That's not even a real channel. E-P-I-X. I know. (laughs) I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's... it's, (laughs) I only knew about it because like a long time ago, Kevin Smith had a special that was exclusive to it. And I was very angry because we did not have it in our area at the time. Um, and in the apocalypse, I, I, I won't get into crazy detail because I'll talk about this most likely on PSVG DLC this month for the ha- mm-hmm. for our Halloween special. Yeah, yeah. But it is. Uh, so think Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, it takes place in a high school in England or Mm -hmm. London, perhaps. I don't remember if the town is named. And Anna is a high school student and her friends are in school and a zombie apocalypse happens. Things get crazy. Oh, and it's a musical. So that sounds great there. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. Uh, it is not a thrown together musical it is well written the songs are catchy and excellent for the most part almost all of the singers are good (laughs) there's one person who is okay he's good he's good not great uh was it like having russell crowe and les mis kind of sort of a little bit (laughs) like he definitely isn't a professional singer i hope i don't i won't say his name so i don't like call out the character actor who might be a professional singer uh, and it's really funny because I didn't finish it all in one sitting. I finished it today and my wife <clears throat> doesn't know what it was and she didn't watch the beginning with me. So I, she came in while I was watching the end mm-hmm. what, and she's, you know, what is this? And I'm like, oh, it's Anna in the Apocalypse. And, you know, she just sees it's a zombie movie. And then right. she's sitting on the couch next to me and, and one of the teachers starts to sing and she's like, this is a musical. You didn't prepare me for that. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I wanted to see what your reaction was going to be. <laughs> Cause it kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I say, if you have the ability to see it streaming, you should check it out. 
you'll have a well-rounded life for doing so. <laughs> Anna and the Apocalypse, that's on Epics, the made-up channel that Josh just made up now. It's possibly on uh, other things, too. Just that's what I, I caught it on. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, my recommendation, you may remember last week, I read off a list of movies uh, and had Josh pick one to watch for me to watch. And I think if I recall, you picked Brick, right? No. Did you pick Layer Cake? Yes. Okay. I remember you picked three, and I couldn't remember which one I said I was going to watch from them. Didn't so, you pick three? Well, <laughs> no, I read the whole list, and okay. then you said, oh, I recommend these three because they're the only three I've seen. So then I thought I picked one. Maybe Anyway, neither here nor there. No, you the got movie a message rec- from Splank that said Brick. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, that's what it was. I couldn't remember who picked which. Anyway, <laughs> Layer Cake, I watched it on Netflix, and as a result, it is my recommendation for a well-rounded life. Layer Cake is an exceptional movie. I really enjoyed it. If you are into... It's kind of odd that we're talking about two British movies this, <laughs> this week, uh, but if you're into British movies, if you're into crime dramas, if you are into uh heist movies this is going to be an excellent one for you to t- pick up it's definitely uh, an adult movie uh not in as an ao but is definitely not something that you'd want to watch with kids uh but i really enjoyed it there's some great performances in it the music is pretty excellent i have a couple quibbles with it overall there's some things that i wish were maybe a little bit different but from a storytelling perspective, how they construct everything, just the art of making the film, uh, I feel like they do a really nice job with. So, uh, like I said, if you like any of those genres I mentioned before, uh, I think Layer Cake is an easy recommendation. Josh, when was the last time you saw this movie? It's been a long time. Um, probably when it came out is when I started last. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So it has definitely been a long time. Yep. So, yeah, but if you are not totally certain if you want to jump in, uh, the director is Matthew Vaughn, um, who went on to do uh, the Kingsman movies. Yeah, are the biggest things. Maybe don't look at what he's produced because there's a a Mr. Two in his production and what he's produced. Uh, But, yeah, he's done the Kingsman movies as well. So if you like the Kingsman movies, uh, this might be a good one to check out. That is Layer Cake on Netflix. Uh, Josh, what do you say we wrap this show up? Great idea. Thanks for joining us, everyone. In addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with Fiji, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with Fiji. So please feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. Also, if you want to communicate in the more long form, or you're just not feeling social media, feel free to email us at boardwithvigi at gmail.com. We tag our stuff with hashtag Board with Fiji. So please feel free to use that hashtag as well on all your social medias. Let us know what you're up to. And whatever podcast service you are listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is whether you're downloading us from the PSVG feed, the Dice Tower Network feed, or our very own standalone board with video games feed. I am going to skip my regular plugs to say I will be participating with Kevin Austin from PSVG and a bunch of other podcasters in Extra Life this year, uh, which is the 24-hour gaming marathon where you raise money and donate it to a local charity. Mine is the Boston Children's Hospital. And uh, if you are compelled to donate anything from a dollar to more, just check out my Twitter at Josh Bones. There's a pinned tweet. Uh, for the link to do so. 
And that's my plugs. Kyle, where can they find you? Well, I'm going to say you should definitely go look at Josh's pin tweet and donate if you can, because children's hospitals are a great cause. And and Extra Life does a great job every year of raising money for children's hospitals. So if you can give even a dollar, it would definitely be helpful. Um, so I'm not even going to talk about my other things. Go look at Josh Bones oh, thanks. Uh, and, and do that. Uh, other PSVG things I will plug very briefly. Uh, the day before this episode releases, there's a new episode of PSVG Prime that I am on talking with David Fox, the industry veteran himself who used to work at LucasArts, uh, talking about it's all about VR. So if you have any interest in VR, uh, Lucas and I talk with David Fox for a little over an hour, uh, hour 15 about all about virtual reality, kind of his history with it, where the industry is going with it, and some great experiences you can find currently. So please check that out. Uh, in addition, there is a review that I did recently that is posted on PSVG's YouTube. There's some links to it out there. I reviewed Monkey King Hero is Back, a game that is out now for PS4 and PC. Uh, if you're so inclined, I would encourage you to check out that review. I haven't reviewed a game like that in a while. Uh, just from like actually doing a separate review for it. So it's a little rough. I, I'm a little out of practice <laughs> with doing those, uh, but I'll probably be doing a few more of those in the future. But check that out if you would as well. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. Remember, go look at Josh Bones up on Twitter. Check out that pinned tweet. Help him out for Extra Life. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming. Thank you.